for example, in principle, no one can, can actually go to the office. There are some exceptions of critical positions, such as some trading floors, for example, of course, the healthcare industry, etc. They actually are required to be in their office. There's articles here and there of actual some, some workers having to live in the office for some periods of time, for a couple of weeks even. But I would say 99% of the, of the office spaces are actually absolutely closed, with no one allowed to enter, even for cleaning or most basic activities. I'm pleased to introduce Alero Franco to the Office Space podcast. Alero is a colleague of mine at Colliers International based in Shanghai, China, where he focuses on tenant representation. Alero, nice to have you on the program. Very happy to join you here. Thanks for the invite. So my first question is, how did someone from Chile end up working in China? Yeah, good question. So I guess that's one of the longest trips you can have on the planet, right? Uh, a 30-hour flight, two hours to, to, to flights, 30 hours. So it's not something you want to do often. We originally came here because my wife was relocated by her company. She was brought in here to be one of the directors of the company's sourcing office, basically. And uh, we moved here in early 2017. And before that, I was working in Chile with uh, one competing agency in transaction management. So for me, it was a natural move to continue working for them here. So they eased a bit of my relocation and they, they had me here for some nine months until actually Colliers came to me and gave me a, an offer. And I actually ended up working with Colliers. It's almost been four years now. Four years. Does it uh, has it changed much? And I know just and we're going to get into what's happening in, in in Shanghai and China in general. But when you look at it over the course of four years, how has the the environment changed? And then obviously there's the the COVID component, which we're going to talk about. Sure, sure. So when I just came here, the I would say the environment overall in Shanghai. Well, to begin with, Shanghai has always been a, a very much a cosmopolitan and international city, right? It's the largest port in the world. And as such, it always had, for, for the last 100 years or so, it had a large foreign population. There's many manifestations throughout the city of how, for example, the French population, British population made their footprint here. In the architecture, in history, in, in, base, in the day-to-day -day life, you can sense how this is a, pretty much a, an international hub. That was the situation when I came back in 2017, that has decreased a bit over time. I would say the biggest change throughout this very short period of time is that the local workforce has uh, gained a lot of sophistication and has been uh, more competitive in the last five years. So a lot of the jobs that usually companies used to hire foreigners for to bring in know-how, etc., increasingly local hires are taking those positions because, of course, they can manage the local culture and the language better than uh, anyone. And that has driven this profile of the international expat with a big package and the big relocation benefits to windle down a bit, right? Uh, it still exists, but in the end, people that are the foreigners that are here now, I think they need to have a bit more sensitivity of how the market works, of how to really make room for themselves in the, in the work market and to actually be competitive. It's not like it used to be 10 years ago, you're... Uh, basically a white guy, and you're supposed to be knowledgeable, right? You need to prove yourself now and put something over the table. So 
smaller international community, but still a very vibrant and, and fun city to live to live in for sure. And what's it like right now, given everything that's going on? I know we talked about the the lockdown and, and coming out of it here. I'm sure you're very excited. You mentioned on June 1st, it, it's starting to end. Maybe you can talk about what it's like living in Shanghai right now and working in Shanghai right now. Sure. So, well, of course, the quarantines and lockdowns started here in China with the beginning of the outbreak in early 2020. But the difference with the the rest of most of the world is that we had, let, let's uh, narrow it down to Shanghai. We had a sort of short lockdown in early 2020. It, it wasn't very harsh. It wasn't very strict. And then the COVID policy here has very strict, has been very strict. So it was also very successful for most of the time throughout 2020 and 2021. The difference now recently with Omicron was that since the virus is more, it spreads, spreads easier, it was harder to contain that spread out here. So back two, three months ago, we started having a rise in daily cases. And then the local policy was to basically shut down everything. So two months ago, roughly, the city went absolutely silent. Basically, every resident was confined to their apartments. And we have to specify also that most of people here live in very small apartments. And most importantly, for a while, to buy food was an issue because most warehouses, supermarkets, shops were closed as well. So there was a, a window of time in which most buildings had to resort to group purchases in order to buy basic food, foods, items. We couldn't buy anything on apps, which is the most common way to buy things here now. So it was very hard first couple of weeks or so, I would say. Things now are definitely better. As I commented before, some people are actually going out on the street. Food purchases now are pretty much normal, with some exceptions. And the mentality now is people are trying to come back to to look forward to an actual normalization of, of life. Allegedly, some schools are going to be able to open starting from June. Some offices are going to be able to, are going to be required actually to go back to normal operations. Everything with a very high list of demands to fulfill in order to go, go back to, to have people in, in public spaces, in buildings, etc. But it seems, and we all hope, of course, that the, the worst already behind us. So you mentioned something about businesses being forced to go back to the office. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, not not forced, I would say. But my understanding is that state-owned enterprises, basically, they are going to be called to go back to the office. This is not forced. What I mean is that there's a regulation now in place for these companies to go back to the office. So so government government agencies, essentially. Exactly. And not only agencies, of course, there's a, there's a big element, lots of difference of how the economy is in China. A lot of uh, important companies here are owned and run by, the, by, by the, the government itself. So they have this more strict protocols to fulfill, of course, when it comes in this case to coming back to the office. But they are the ones that most likely are going to drive the return to the office, if you will, with private corporations, both local and foreigners coming back behind them. So what are the general stats? Let's start with general building occupancy. I mean, in a lockdown situation, are are employees allowed to go to their office at all or that's not even allowed? And let's say before, well, generally, what, what's the building occupancy been in terms of building population, if that's tracked there? 
Sure. So just for example, in principle, no one can, can actually go to the office. There are some exceptions of critical positions, such as uh, some trading floors, for example, of course, the healthcare industry, etc. They actually are required to be in their office. There's articles here and there of actual some, some workers having to live in the office for some periods of time, for a couple of weeks even. But I would say 99% of the, of the office spaces are actually absolutely closed, with no one allowed to enter even for cleaning or most basic activities. So all of the work that is that can possibly be done from home is being done like that. And it, all, all of this came with, of course, with a, a notice from the government that we would go through a lockdown. It was supposed to be shorter. But all, most companies had some time to find a way for their employees to work from home as much as possible. And that, that's the way in which uh, business has been uh, running for the last uh, almost two months. And is this... Only specific to Shanghai, or is it happening in other major cities in China? Yeah, so the situation in it's case by case. Beijing is sort of where Shanghai was a month and a half ago, with some areas, as far as I understand, in lockdown. Not the whole city, but uh, most people there are also, uh, are also reasonably scared that they're going to go through a full city lockdown if cases continue to rise. We're not that that sure how that's going to work out, but I think this one it's being managed on a per district basis so far. There's other cities throughout the country that are in a similar situation. Guangzhou, if I'm not mistaken, and some other tier two cities, which most people might never have heard of before. It's a progressive policy. So the situation makes of how, decides on how they're going to act on it. And I think, and I hope that from now on, it's not going to be a full on lockdown in just to manage an outbreak, but to learn from the experience and to be a bit more measured on how to try to uh, minimize the number of, of infected cases while not you know, restricting normal life, business, and educational activities. What is, prior, prior to the lockdown, what were the general, what was the general building population percentage coming in to a building? So for example, you know, castle systems here in the United States tracks building population based upon swipes. And they were doing it on a daily basis. They changed it to a weekly basis. And every week it's sent out, essentially. Do you guys track that? And if not, do you... Occupation? No, I, I, no in terms of I building, building population, yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't think I've seen that before. Okay. Would you um, guess? What would you guesstimate a, in a typical office building any given week? Is it 20%, 30%, 50% in Shanghai? So... Let's talk about the CBD because this is a big market and DVD comes with, you know, different areas and different segmentation. But CBD itself, I would say that overall, we, well, basic indicators, vacancy overall right now is 10%. And I would say that is a figure that is very representative of the whole market. So if you look at core business districts and the, if you look at the main road in Shanghai, which is called Nanjing West Road, for example, the, the main uh, office of market, most high-end or class A plus buildings, if you will, they have no vacancy at all. They have a hundred percent occupancy. And in secondary areas, the situation is a bit more flexible, a bit more more vacancy. But just before the lockdown, we had a very very active office market. Again, the situation when we, after we came out of this shorter lockdown in Q1, Q2, 2020, the market demand rose significantly. Activity here was very very high. 
And throughout 2020 and 2021, it was a very, very dynamic market. Until 2017, there was a, we had a 10-year rising rent trend in Shanghai. With that stopped between 2017 and 2020. Then we continued the rising rent trend until our last report that came out in April for Q1 2022. And of course, now we still don't know what's going to happen after this particular lockdown, which was the longest and harshest that we experienced. But looking at the current panorama and looking forward, I would say that overall, there's two elements. There's people and there's business, right? When it comes to people, right now, there's a large percentage of the foreign population either leaving or looking to leave, either for uh, short term or for good. And this comes with many reasons, just uh, not only the lockdown itself, personal reasons for everyone. I would say that the fact that also China implemented a very hard, very restrictive policy when it came to outbound and inbound travel made it very difficult for foreign people to visit their families back home. Myself, I haven't visited my home country in two and a half years. And that, and also a lot of actual, a lot of people got stuck out of China in early 2020, I never, were never able to come back because of visa expiries, because of lack of flights, because of flights into China being very expensive, then a long quarantine period. So I guess this situation currently accelerated plans for people that were looking to leave eventually. And also there's uh, reports of uh, a high number of local population trying to see a way to, to find opportunities in other countries as well. So that's on people. Regarding businesses, on the other hand, of course, business decisions are take longer time to implement, right? I don't see much of a trend of companies moving out of the country. If you think about foreign companies, there's a vast difference industry to industry, for example. Uh, there's some comp- there are some industries that are growing massively because of the large demand and the large inflow of, of flow of cash that, that is in Shanghai and overall in China. This is a massive market with uh, a more sophisticated consumer, a uh, consumer that has more more money. Well, let's let's stop there for a second and, and talk about the the Shanghai tenant mix. What, I mean, what is, who is the typical tenant and what, what, what sort of industries are represented in Shanghai? So Shanghai is a city where most of the foreign companies' headquarters are based in. So every major corporation you can think of, they're headquartered here. That comes from any industry, any origin, et cetera. And I would say there's a good mix of either companies that sell here and their their market is the Chinese consumer. There's also companies that source uh, products from here to their respective countries, but they don't actually sell here. So there's a, it's a big difference of, it's basically a big mix and a big sample of different companies of different sizes and origins. Okay. And talking about the, the, the leases and the deal size, what would you say is the typical deal size in Shanghai? You can say square meters, we'll convert it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Well, again, massive market, big difference in tenants. I used to work in Santiago, Chile. It was much smaller market, so it was much easier to identify the average deal size. But I would say a, a thousand square meters, that would be roughly 10,000 square feet. Yeah. That is within the medium range. Okay. Um, and what's the typical square footage of a building floor plate there? 
would be roughly 2,000 square meters to 2,500 square meters. That's anywhere between 20,000 and 25,000 square feet. Okay. Uh, there's then there there's aspects you you know you need to look into. For example, that here leases are based on gross area. For example, so tenants in the end, those 2,000 square meters not necessarily is the exact area you can actually lease. Right? It's not the net area. But overall, that's the rule of thumb: 2,000 to 2,500 square meters. Size. Okay. So I kind of got off. I, I'm sorry. I got you off track a little bit. You were, you were talking more about the overall market. Let's go, let's go back to the market and, and overall, what, what's the, the total office inventory in Shanghai? It is roughly 12.5 million square meters. That's 134 million square feet, right? Okay. Um, more than half of that is in the CBD which is still a massive territory that's, I, I would say that it's comprised in spread out in around four districts or so, middle of the city. That's where also most of the richer population live, both foreign and local, whereas most of the high-end retail stores are shopping centers, et cetera, the more active uh, part of the city, of course. And do you have any sense of what percentage of the tenancies are government-owned or related to government? Is it a is it fair to say it's a sizable amount? Yeah, sizable amount for sure. Because in the end, there's uh, strictly state-owned enterprises. Then there's uh, joint ventures uh, of those kind of companies and also private companies. So in the end, sometimes it's hard to identify their origin because it's not that clear. Sometimes it's a local, it looks like a very local company, but it's massively funded by, let's say, a Japanese fund or Korean or et cetera. So it's a big mix of tenants. And it's a, also, it's hard to pinpoint, well, language <laughs> being a big, big issue, right? Sometimes a massive conglomerate has many different uh, affiliates and sometimes uh, you cannot identify if they belong to the same group or not. So it's a bit of a mix. And also China works very, very fast. So Every given month, there's a thousand of new, thousands of new companies coming out to the market and taking massive amounts of office space, growing, taking whole buildings, especially, for example, in the tech sector and other, and other sectors of the market that have high market demand here. So it's a very, very dynamic, if you will. It's hard to... Those figures, if I could tell you something right now, most likely they will be different three months from now. So okay. it's hard to, to measure. Yeah. Okay. And... There's there's talk of more onshoring going on in the United States. So getting out of China, really. I mean, the China U.S. relations are deteriorating, and I'm 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 expecting that to affect the office market. Do you do you see any of that right now? And what what's the media? How is the media portraying the U.S. right now in in, in Shanghai? Well, in the end, reading at well, my 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 media sources are both local and foreign, of course. And in the end, I would say when it comes to companies that their operations are more office dense, but we don't see much change in that in that way. Since we were talking about, for example, the trade wars a couple of years ago, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there was a large number of foreign companies moving out of China. The companies that did were companies that mostly failed to go big in China. Airbnb, for example, they just suspended their operations here for an indefinite time. And the more you read about those kind of cases, Marks and Spencer, a couple of years back, for example, with a retailer example, it's not that 
they're trying to get out of here because of policies, because of uh, um, higher cost of operations. That is it's mainly based on strategic positions, like lesser sales. You know, they couldn't they couldn't meet their target, for example, to of, of growth and to, of sales in China. So in, in in the end, they decided to pull the plug. But that's case by case, I would say. When it comes to companies that are that have a high percentage of their distribution chains and production sites here in China, that's a that's a different animal, I would say, because of course, throughout a ten year span, as I said before, the Chinese consumer and thus the Chinese worker has is getting more expensive. Labor costs have risen in China the last few years, and of course, there are some companies that are trying to diversify their strategy and positioning here in in China throughout APEC, for example. But then again, there's always someone who's saying everyone's going to leave China. All of their portfolios are going to be moved to Southeast Asia. But there's also you also have to consider the fact that businesses are based in China not only because of a large consumer base, but also because uh, China is a market, is a, is a country, which has implemented very, very profound and very successful policies to attract and retain multinational corporations. Tax incentives, allocation of uh, workforce programs to actually provide tools for actually for uh, an X amount of, of the population to be able to work in these corporations. And the fact that by now, China has an infrastructure a level of know-how that is difficult to replicate, replicate in other countries as well. So I think that rhetoric of everyone is looking out to, is looking to move, out, move, move out of China. It's not, it's just said and done, basically. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably some some middle ground there, but I, I expect there to be significant moves. I mean, we're just two different countries in terms of policies, and they seem, those policies seem to be accelerating in different areas. So it will be interesting to watch and see how much becomes nationalized, essentially. But getting back, I want to get back to more of the office information. So you talked about there's smaller apartments and people are living in these smaller apartments. What is the work from home scenario like? And uh, so first of all, so what are, are people being productive and are there multi-generations in these, in these families and what's the general productivity like? And then the second question is, are, how are those come back, come, come back to the office policies being implemented? Are, is it from top down from the CEO and in, in, in the C-level people telling them what the policy is going to be? Or is the job market like it is here in the United States where it's a little bit more employee favored? So the executives are a little fearful. I mean, there's two, two open positions for every you know, candidate out there right now. I think it'll slow down with, with the economy changing, but what's it like right now for in that, in that respect? So yeah, on, on that regard, I would say the most important difference between China and the West, not, the, not, not only the US, is that the work culture here is pretty much top down. There's little, I wouldn't say people don't try to push for a more flexible way to work. But in the end, no one questions much if we, should we go all back to the office 100% of the time or not, right? Looking back at the at what happened in 2020, again, it was, a, I, I, I wouldn't say that the, that, that time was very comparable to right now because it was a shorter period of lockdown. But most companies just came back to the to the office under completely normal conditions within a period of two weeks. And overall, I would say managers here they are used to. I want and would prefer to have their staff nearby. 
again, it comes also to, we, we also need to look industry by industry and role per role, right? So myself, for example, I'm a foreigner. We are, people look at us in a bit more different way. And our job itself, which is meeting people all the time, going to site inspections, et cetera, that's a, a big element of flexibility itself. But I would say more traditional traditional positions, such as HR, finance, et cetera, which are more indoors, I don't think they changed much back then. And right now, I don't think there's going to be a massive change in that, in that direction anyway. Is there a hybrid model that's being employed? So for example, in the United States, three days in, two days at home seems to be where everyone's landing. Is that is there a trend in Shanghai towards a hybrid model? I don't think so. So far, we haven't we haven't seen a big experience in that sense. I would say smaller companies are more flexible. Depend a lot of again a lot of companies here they have the headquarters office, but they sell or they operate throughout the whole of China or even APAC. So in those cases, people that their actual work is done in different cities or markets, they for sure have more flexibility than people that need to be at the office because their work is done there to be applied in the local, in the city, right? But overall, I wouldn't say there's a plan to shift the way that people work here. I wouldn't say that's that's going to happen in the near future. But for example, we could also look into the how the service office and the overall flexible office supply change in this in this last two years and that had uh, a change that was more significant when we started in 2020 there were basically every major operator of flexible space was in shanghai was taking massive amounts of office space whole buildings in some cases such as everyone you would be used to working with rigas we work etc local operators apac level operators and what happened when China implemented these travel restrictions was that a lot of small or medium-sized operators, they had a lot of issues to operate their facilities here. And that pushed, and that was for a long time as well. So that pushed a lot of smaller operators to reduce their footprint or actually a lot of them to just shut down their China operations. And therefore, local operators that already existed or brand new companies they took over that space. They took it over to opportunity. And after two years, the supply and the diversification of this offering is quite bigger. It's far more sophisticated. There's everything from very, very cheap workstations in Class B buildings to very high-end, private, elegant, very exquisitely decorated office space provided by local operators as well, aiming to a bit more of a more difficult uh, clientele, right? And also, of course, that was driven by uh, a demand element because companies are increasingly, not very fast, but increasingly looking to have a more flexible space. They are more familiar with the brands themselves. I think, of course, brands like WeWork did an excellent uh, exercise in evangelizing the concept, right? I I think you're right. And we're saying the same thing here. And co-working is going to continue to... I believe, improve and have a place in the market. I mean, you and I just wrapped up a project for for a client and they were all about, we're going to go into a new market and the first thing we're going to do is going to do a flex offering. And I think there's a lot of, in a transitional economy in a market that will, uh, that will play well. There'll certainly be winners and losers in that regards, but it seems that the metrics are, are showing that co-working and flex will continue to grow. So- 
I agree with you on that. Well, this has been great. We're we're coming up on 30 minutes here, so I want to be cognizant of of time and also of your time because I know it's late at night. It's or it's in the morning for me, but late at night for you. So this has been uh, really helpful. I feel like there's a lot we can still unwrap here, and maybe we also talk about Santiago and what's going on down in uh, South America because that's that's an animal as well. But I really appreciate your time. And good luck with getting outside and enjoying life again. Thanks so much. Yeah, everyone here looks forward to it. And hopefully I can tell you better news in the near future as well. Great.